challenge for the church and there's a huge challenge for church family life in itself. Here's a stat that, another US stat because they're just really easy to get in Australia dusting so slowly, but from, from the, 2000, uh, the year 2000 until today, so back then the average church attendance was, the, and that's a country of mega churches, right? The average church attendance was 137 people. Today, well as of 2022, the average church attendance is 65. That's less than half. The church, we've got a huge challenge because it's no different in our own backyard. So, hey God, teach us um, and lead us as we work through all of this stuff but get inspired that even if we find ourselves in a season like this, Lord, a winter-type season, that we have the tools, God, to move forward into our springs, we pray. In Jesus' name. Matt Carter actually said that the last 12 years has seen the biggest decline in those that call themselves Christians in the last 12 years alone. So I would say that all of us in the room, I'll speak on your behalf. You can argue with me later that we probably all agree that there needs to be some sort of shift, some sort of change in that. And so Ruth chapter 2 that we looked at was all about this spring season and how we, we move through that and live in that. But Ruth chapter 1 is a winter season and I, I, I just feel like there's a need for us to understand that in life, even as Christians that live an abundant life, that we have winter seasons. But in winter seasons, there is a way to journey through that. And we, we have to acknowledge that today. Yeah. So we're going to read from Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. And there's 22 verses. There's lots of, lots of them. But sometimes people just get a word from God that sets them free just in the reading of the Holy Scriptures. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his family and two sons, went to live for a while in a country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Aphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah. Is anybody else, when they get to that, if you've ever read it, want to say Oprah? Like you do, don't you? Just automatically. Like I found myself when I was going over this, every time I read that, it was like Oprah. It's not Oprah. It's more like Orca, you know, the whale, but it's Orpah. And the other, and the other Ruth. After they had lived about 10 years, both Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So this is really important. They're in Moab and they get word that the Lord has come to the aid of the people from where they were in Bethlehem. That all of a sudden God is starting to move and so they plan to go back. Verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Now, she, she's, you know, she's being adamant. 
Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you rem- remain unmarried for them? No, my daughter, it is, no, it is bitter for me, more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She almost makes it as hard as possible to actually believe that God's good or to even to trust in the Lord, let alone go back to the promised land. Yeah? Verse 14. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And I love verse 16. What, what a testimony in itself. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to back from you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Wow. Father, bless those scriptures. There's some beautiful truth captured in this, in this chapter for us that we can actually that we can learn from. Because if it's winter in our life, it's, if it's winter in the Australian family way of life, if it's a hard season, if it's a winter for the spiritual and moral relational life of the nation, then we need to get practical right from the start. And I want to suggest really something so simple, yeah, but it seems to be impossible for people to grab a hold of. Don't stay <laughs> long in the bitterness of winter. Like, don't stay there. Just don't do it. Don't stay there. When you're stuck in Moab, they move to Moab. When we're stuck in Moab, we've got to get out of there as quickly as possible and get back to the what I'm going to call the house of bread because they'd heard that God was now moving and how did they hear that? Because he was providing food for the people. Yeah? We've got to get back to the house of bread. We've got to go back to Bethlehem. So the times of judges were not great for Israel, and, and I, I touched on it the last couple of weeks. Now, there were some good years, there were some many revivals, but there was also some long seasons of up to 80 years where Israel was invaded and things were a mess. I mean, there were times that Israel couldn't even grow vegetables. I mean, they could, but every time they grew their own crops, everything would get looted away. It was like the, the supermarket aisles were empty. Yeah, totally empty and the stuff was a terrible mess it was a tough time for Naomi and her family and, and I mean you think about it Naomi, her name means pleasant pleasant <laughs> but she renames herself bitter imagine doing that I mean I've had friends that have changed their names but certainly not because of the meaning behind it particularly in a situation like this 
you know, you think about it. She renames herself bitter because she'd lost her husband. She'd lost her, her two boys. All the men had died. And here they are in Moab in winter. We know it's winter because there's a famine. In any agricultural society, there's no greater devastation, seriously, in an agricultural society than a famine. It's worse than a recession. I would go as far as to say that it's probably even worse than a depression. So bad that people have to leave during those kinds of famine. And they leave the land. Usually you'd say, oh, well, that's what they have to do. But Ruth 1.1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, the land of bread, the land of praise, the land of promise, right? There's a problem here that where they should be and he moves his wife and his sons. Right at the very start of the chapter, the Lord's given Israel the law of God in a land that we called the promised land. Stephen himself during communion talked about God's promise. And so here they are living in God's promise. How tragic that at the beginning of their story, in the midst of the time of Judges, that the covenant people, God's people, are leaving the promised land. They're leaving the thing that God gave them. Just sit with that for a minute. God's given you something and it gets tough. So you run. Really? It makes no sense. Elimelech leads his family to, to even a greater disaster than what they were experiencing. People do it all the time. They leave where God has placed them. They leave God's blessing for them because it gets a little bit tough. And because it's tough, this certainly can't be what God wants for my life. No, it's not, but it's a season. And so instead of trusting in him, off they go, bolt. People do it in church life. I don't like it here. See you later. I'm out. Because it gets a bit tough because someone's personality rubs them up the wrong way because they're struggling that there's people that walk into church wearing, um, what's those shoes you like that I don't like, Sam? Yeah, I don't like those, but the other ones, the black ones with the yellow laces that are really yuck and they cost a fortune. Doc Martens, right? Doc Martens. Like, hello, don't wear Doc Martens. But, you know, that, that's how petty people can get. That, hello, they walked in with, oh, I can't be anywhere that someone's going to wear Doc Martin. They've just spent $305. They could have got, got so much better shoes in, in Lagon Street. <sighs> when I've got the mic, I'm right. Anyway, keep moving forward. It's just an example. So you, you could tell all those that wear Doc Martens, couldn't you? They, all of a sudden, that spirit within them, they got up, they got offended, but then God reminded them they're not allowed to be offended because a Christian can't have an offence and call themselves a Christian. Anyway, we, we move on, right? Anyway, truth is that you and I, sometimes we're exactly like this. We, we actually try to fix things when there's a problem and we try to fix things our way in the world's way and often when we do it our way, it gets off track to the word of God. Yeah? And when that happens, we end up in an even bigger mess than where we started. I think we've all done that. You know, when society tries to twist what is right and calls it wrong, and what is wrong right, things get worse. They just get worse. And you have to look across the globe at the moment. Things get worse. You know, I think there's a lesson for us today when we're in our winter season, I know that we have fight or flight, right? Don't run. Don't run. 
Don't run in your winter season. It's not where God wants you, but there requires some trust in you. Last week I called it patience. Don't run. Don't run. Don't run away from the Lord. Don't run away from the things of God. Stop it. Father God's not the problem that we face. Yeah? He's the one that will get us through the problems that we face. Think of Jonah. He was given a task. I want you to go to Nineveh. Yeah? God said, go to Nineveh. And the Ninevites were a, lot, a, lot, a little bit like the Moabites. You know, like Moabites, Ninevites, like there's all sorts of bites. Anyway, they, they were out of the family of God and they had a really bad reputation. And Jonah didn't want to go. So what did Jonah do? What did he do? Jonah ran. He actually ran away. God asks him to do something. He doesn't like it. It's tough. Feels like a winter season and so he runs. He goes to, to Joppa, catches a boat. And really, when you read the story of Jonah, his life just goes down, 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 down. It's like the prices at Coles, down, down. Yeah, Just keeps going down, down. Dad jokes galore today. So... Um, you know, that, that's, that's Jonah, that's what he did. So I want to encourage us all that sometimes we have to endure in the things of God. I, I don't know who it's for. It could be for somebody listening. We've got to endure in the things of God. When life's tough, yes, we cry out to God because we don't like it, but don't run from him. Sometimes we've got to endure in that space. We've got to endure in the things of God. When the heat comes, when the pressure comes, it's, it's not a time to do a Jonah and run to, to Tarshish. It's not a time to be Elimelech and, and go to Moab. It's, it's not a time to run away. Even if you think about, Stephen brought up Abraham. Well, you know, Abraham and Lot. What about Lot? Lot was enticed by the greenery of the area that he saw. But you know what the truth is? The grass isn't always greener on the other side, is it? Yeah? Lot didn't have the spiritual vision that Abraham had. Those hills and plains of the Dead Sea looked so lush. But if you read your Bible, they turned to disaster for Lot. Yeah? His city incinerated. <laughs> like, it's not a good outcome, is it? He lost most of his family. He ended up living in a cave. In other words, if you want to end up alone, you want to end up living like a hermit in a cave, it's really simple. Run away from God and do your own thing. Go, go. And you'll love it. You'll end up in a cave alone, lonely, bitter, cold, angry, frustrated. Don't run from the things of God. It's much more important to follow the ways of the Lord. Much more important. Amen? Yeah? We're believers in the house. So here we've got Naomi's husband. He chooses to leave the promised land. That's not great. Warren Wiersbe wrote in one of his books, Elimelech was walking by sight and not by faith. By sight, not by faith. And the truth is that so often the things, the stuff in life can look so appealing to us to go after. The fleshly things, the world, can, they can look so appealing, but it always ends up badly and leads to spiritual disaster, leads to a spiritual winter. You know, famine had come to Israel, but in this story alone, we see that God was faithful to his people. He was faithful. He fed them. He provided for his people at the right time. And here's the other really difficult pill to swallow, in his time, not our time, yeah? And let's face it, we, I, I know that it feels like COVID was forever ago, but it wasn't, yeah? And people now, churches now, we're still suffering in the wake of COVID, yeah? People ran. They ran, they ran from their problems. Do you know, here's something I've recently heard. 
If you want to run away from your problems, you still take them with you. I know, right? I never thought of that before. I just figured I'd leave them behind. But if you run away from your problems, you still take them with you. Think about it. A husband that goes off to try to, try to get an upgrade, a software upgrade, so to speak, right? To get another version of his wife. Or, or I had to spell it out for some, right? Like, seriously. Or the husband that goes off. Or what about the wife that goes off thinking that things will be better, that things will be easier? Here's a new flat, newsflash. You still take you with you. You know, I've got a... I, I know I'm in my second marriage, so if this was to fail, yeah, if this was to fail, I won't get into all the details, but the common denominator there would be me. Yeah? I still, still take me with me. I, I've got a friend that I know that's in his fourth or fifth marriage. It's always the other person's fault, but hello? The common denominator? You take your problems with you, yeah? Is the point of all that. In our winter season... Believers, let's not run from the problem, but let's... I think it... Who was it this morning that was praying, 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 praying? Chris. Prayed for a grace, you know, to receive the healing, a grace to step into his promises. In a winter season, we've got to receive grace in the problems that we're facing so that we know how to deal with them. You know, I think that that's often the temptation when we're actually going through a hard time you know, when you're toughing it out, you're being faithful, you know, you're sticking at a job, you know, you're sticking at family life, you're, you're being faithful in your ministry, you're doing all that stuff. I think that's when the problem comes, when the pressure comes. And then it leads us to want to escape. You know, we want to, we want to run, we want to flight, we want to take off. You know, I just want to find that some kind of release, some kind of relief even. You know, and we go sometimes to the wrong places instead of just saying God's with me he's going to provide for me you know I'm going to be faithful I'm going to stay in the house of bread where God will provide what I need yeah I'm going to stay in Bethlehem you know Elimelech majored on the physical instead of the spiritual we got to, you and I we've got to learn from every book of the Bible every scripture that's written there's something in it for us to grow and become more like Jesus amen he focused so much on the physical that he missed that he was leaving the house of bread. He was leaving the place where God was going to move. He was leaving the place where Jesus was going to be born. He was leaving the place where David was going to tend his flocks. He was leaving the place where the angels were going to sing. He was leaving that place. He was so focused on his problem in the physical. So I say to every family leader, male or female, don't take your families to Moab. Don't run from the things of God. Don't do it. Dads, mums, don't do it. Do you know Moab literally relates this way, the land just short of the promised land. The land just short of the promised land. And so we're in a problem. We want to get out. We're not going to trust God. And so we bolt. Where? To the land just short of the promised land. Oh, wow. How depressing that is. Knowing that God's got all this great stuff for us. Yeah. And we take off to a place that's just short. Families, parents, people, don't. Don't go to Moab. Like, don't go there. Don't lead your family there. Moab was an enemy of Israel. The book of Judges actually ends with the men of Israel marrying, marrying Moabite women. That's what they did. 
And it all went wrong at that point when you read it. At this point, we've got the same thing being repeated in Ruth chapter 1 as what, what was happening in the book of Judges. And Elimelech's boys, they marry these local girls. They marry these girls. And that was just another step away from obedience to God, to the family of God. You and I, we've got to learn to stay in the promised land that God has placed us. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about where God has placed you in your relationship with him, in your faith. Yeah? You've got, to, you've got to marry an Israelite they were supposed to and instead they go to Moab, they start marrying these foreign girls, foreign girls that are attracted and attached to foreign gods. You know, so often, and this is commentary, it's not criticism because it's hard outside of this. The Bible tells us if, if we're unequally yoked, if we've got a partner that's not a believer, to pray for them. Yeah, But so often I hear he's a good guy, she's a good girl. Well, do they believe in God? Like, literally, you can understand, this is not, it is not criticism. I have same conversation with my children and my girls that are older. Do they believe in God? Do they go to church? Mark Driscoll, I love this, said this when asked, if they don't understand Jesus, they can't understand you. And if they don't understand Jesus, they don't know who is most important to you. We tend to think, well, we love each other. Well, love comes from God and God is love and God pours out his love by the Spirit. If they don't have the Spirit, they don't even have access to the same source of love that we do. I love that. That's, like, that's so hard and so heavy that I've got to laugh at it. But it's, that's real. So in other words, don't go to Moab. Don't do it. Fathers, mothers, don't take your kids to Moab. Don't take them just short of the promised land. Always believe for the promises of God in their life. You know, as a dad, as a parent, we want to make sure that our kids, your kids, that they're equally yoked. You know, that they're following Jesus. Is he or she, are they, are they sold out for God? Because that's the change we need in our families. That's the change that we need in this place. Because let's face it, another controversial comment. If you're sold out for Jesus, you can't have church splits. Someone has to be Jesus. If someone's walking away somewhere, someone's not being Jesus. Yeah? If we're sold out for him, are we equally yoked? There was a problem in Moab because there was no equal yoking because they weren't under the covenant of God. But yet in this chapter, we, we know there's a miracle of conversion taking place in the life of Ruth. And, and, and we started to unpack that last week. But regardless, for you and I in this place, let's, let's be equally yoked. Let's be sold out for Jesus. The family, now I'm talking, yeah? Not picking on individual male or females, us as a family, those that come through the, through the door, let's be equally yoked. Let's be sold out for him. And you know what? If you're in a relationship and your spouse is more committed to Jesus than you, don't get upset and jealous. Praise God that that person is taking the reins and running back to the land of bread, back into the house of God, focused on him, trusting him. That's actually a good thing. That's the kind of leadership change that's needed in our families. Like it really is. Go back to Bethlehem. Don't stay. Don't stay long in Moab. And if you've left when you shouldn't have, go back. And so even for those that are listening online, maybe you've left the church. Maybe you've left our church. It's time to come back. 
And it's just time to come back. I've said it often, because I often hear, I've had it said to me, the door is always open. If it's my house, I don't care whether the door is open or closed, I've got the key. Yeah? I go to my mum's house whenever I want. Whether she's home or not, I can get in. It's my house, as much as it's her house. So I'm just saying, you know, if you've left this house, you've left another church, it doesn't matter. Don't listen to the voices and just go back. You don't have to worry about the door that has to be open. It is open. It's your home. Just walk in. Just walk in and know that there's a family that will love you. Yeah? And, and this is the story. This family gets themselves into a terrible mess, stuff that goes dramatically wrong, but it's also a story where God enables a foreigner yeah, to become a member of his spiritual family. This is so, so, wonder, so wonderful because you and I, if we're a place a church that's a safe place for all people, yeah, where they'll be restored and revealed for his glory. That's our vision. If you don't know our vision, there's vision cards on the front desk. There's small ones for you that have got good eyesight and there's big ones for those of us that have got bad eyesight. You know, put it on your fridge. Yeah, remember it. If, we, if that's going to be true, then when a foreigner comes into the house... When a stranger comes into the house, when someone who has been walking with Buddha, with one of the hundreds and hundreds of Hindu gods, they, they might be Muslim, we treat them exactly like they're a believer of Jesus. They're foreigners that are looking and we love them and accept them because there's something that's happening, the fact that they've walked into a church that they're looking for. And you know what? We've got the answer. Jesus. Really simple. Jesus. I, I love the story that um, uh, Dale Stevenson tells when he, um, when, in pastoring the, the uh, Crossway Baptist Church, I think it's called, yeah, that's right, that he, he tells the story openly. He shared it here one day um, with a leadership thing that we were doing, and he said this. He had a Muslim man come to his church. Yeah, it wasn't a Christian, but listened to one message and said, I, I, I really like what you said. I want to get involved. Can I serve somewhere in church? Now, I know there are churches everywhere already turning in their grave. And he said, of course you can. Why don't you speak to so-and-so? They um, just look after our front area where we greet people. All we need is people that are happy. Because again, we, we don't want people that look like they've been sucking on lemons at the front door. Do you imagine going to, to a restaurant and the waitress or waiter comes on and goes, can I help you? Like, you don't even want to order. You want to walk out, yeah? So the point is, you want happy people. So he goes, that's all, that's all you need. So he speaks to this couple, and the following week, this Muslim man is at the front door greeting people into the house of God. Now, they have a thing there at their church that when someone is within three metres of you, you have to say hello. Got to say hello. If they're within three metres, you make sure you acknowledge them. So that's what he started to do. Hello! How are you? Come in. You know, like you had an accent. Six months later, he got baptised and he's following Jesus. You know what? Foreigners. Ruth is a foreigner. And yet God enables this foreigner to become a member of the spiritual family. Let's make our vision real. Yeah? That we're a safe place for all people. Not just those from the same denomination. Not just those from the evangelical world or the Pentecostal world. You know, all of that. I love the fact that, that even Ali brought that up with Hillsong because I've got friends. In fact, John has got grandchildren that are still involved in, in teams in the different Hillsong churches because the churches are good. Does the, doesn't the Bible say this, that a bad tree cannot 
bear good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Hillsong Music, Hillsong itself, has been distributing music. It's a church of hundreds of thousands of people. You know what? They're bound to make mistakes. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make it. Hear me, it does not make it a bad tree because there's way too much good fruit for anyone to suggest otherwise. And when you've got Christians that want to suggest otherwise, again, do the Italian thing, slap them, tell them to get over it and be more like Jesus. Yeah? It's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, because sometimes people just need to know. Anyway, so here's this foreigner and she's got this passion and, and, and a passion for the Lord in her heart and she's following the Lord and her leadership grows and she doesn't even realise what's happening on the inside of her. You know, like our culture today, Naomi, Naomi, not Ruth, Naomi's filled with bitterness and maybe Father God wants to help someone out today. Like legitimately. Because some of us aren't as young as others. But I encourage you, if there's anything, any bitterness that we hold on to, let's give it to God. Yeah, life is too short to hold on to bitterness. It is, you're going to hear me, too short to hold on to bitterness. Too short to hold on to bitterness. Too short. Give it to God. If you've got bitterness in your heart, you know, even if you're bitter about what, what, what somebody else has done to somebody else, you can't carry that for long without poisoning your spirit. You can't. We need to make sure that we keep shaking that bitterness off, walking in that forgiveness. And Ruth could somehow see her bruised and broken mother-in-law. She could see that there was still a spark of faith. She could see that. And even though she was definitely on a downer because her, her words that were spilling out were so, so negative, and yet Ruth knows that there was a reality behind the covenant of God. Even from Moab, she realises that there's something good going on in Bethlehem in the house of bread. Where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. You know what that means, family? We have to stick together. We've got to have each other's backs. Yeah? We've got to go to the house of bread where we can have communion together like we did today. There's nothing more special than the time of breaking bread together, having communion together. And Naomi's husband led the family to Moab in the winter time, a famine. They were leaving the promised land. And maybe this is for somebody else too. Maybe someone in your family has done something that's led you astray, led you to a place of grief in your heart, a place that's affected you. Somebody else has made that decision for you. Again, I just want to encourage you today, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing for you. I was told twice in my life, once because I was going through a separation divorce a long time ago, and I won't go into why, as I said earlier, but I've been married to Mel for 22 years, but I was told then, on two different occasions, for two different reasons, that I would never be a pastor. So whether that's like, ha-ha, I'm a pastor and you got me suffer, or whether that's like, ha-ha, I'm a pastor, geez, God is so faithful, you take it any way you like, yeah? But there's hope. The point is there's hope. God gave me a new start. I had to find a new home, a new church family, and God gave me a new start. Even though things go wrong for us, I thank God that he can take hold of us just at the right time. That's what this book is showing us. And so if we find ourselves with all kinds of problems around us, we can still know Jesus. And, and the hope is our winter can become spring again. We don't have to stay there. We do not have to stay there. You know, I think we find it really hard to turn ourselves around sometimes when we've gone through tough and hard times. You know, we're, we're tempted, particularly here in Australia, just to lick our wounds and, you know, I've 
for a lot of the times for too long, count our losses. But I love the way that this story moves and grows. They don't stay in Moab. They don't stay in winter. Their hope is forward. Our hope is forward. You can't keep looking back and expecting things to change. Our hope is forward. Our hope is for It's a forward step. It's a trusting in God and saying, yes, I now will step out of the boat. It's a step of faith. Our hope is forward. If you're not happy where you're at, maybe because you still haven't taken a step forward. I don't like where I'm at. Life's so tough. It sucks. Have you done this? No. Have you done that? No. Have you done this? No. Have you done that? No. 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 Hope is forward. Yeah, it's forward. Please, because if you come to... I'm not a great counsellor. I can point you to Jesus. Yeah, my marriage is good. It's, it's not the best marriage in the world, but if you come to me, I'll point you to Jesus. If you come to me and say, oh, I hate life. How long have you been there for? 15 years. How come you've not moved forward? I don't know. All I'm going to say is take a step forward. I can't. Then, mate, if you can't, God can't even help you. Take a step forward. Hope is forward. And I think one of the things we struggle with the most to admit, and this is why I love this house, is because most of us don't like to admit when we're wrong. Anyone here like admitting we're wrong? Jen, you like admitting we're wrong? No, of course not. Sometimes we do because we're peacekeepers. doesn't mean that we like doing it. Here's one. Now, some of you will agree and some of you won't. I'm going to suggest this. If you've not apologised to anybody in the last month, the last month, if you've not apologised to anybody in the last month, then you're either walking in sinless perfection, but I doubt it, right? You're either perfect or there's a lack of self-awareness for some of the clumsiness and mistakes in our own life. Yeah? If you've not apologised to anyone in the last month, if you've not even apologised to God, big time, in the last month, there's a lack of self-awareness. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we're sons and daughters, but like my kids have learned, and like I continue to learn sometimes, I say to my mum, I'm sorry about that. That happened on my watch. I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry about that. I've had to say sorry this week multiple times. Multiple times in my home alone. If you've not said sorry yet, if you've not apologised yet. And I'll tell you, when we do that, when we apologise, we've got to unlock this because I'm out of time, yeah? I know that when we do apologise to someone, I know people can abuse it, they can use it, misuse it, they can do all of that stuff. But, but confession is good for the soul. Confession is good for the soul. And it's a good thing sometimes to fall on our sword and say we're sorry. Even in the house of God, even with other Christians, to say, hey, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. Sorry I said that. And yet, Elimelech didn't go back. The young men were staying in Moab, almost in desperation in verse 6. It reads, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of, of his people, God was always going to come to the aid of his people, always. Why do we run? Why do we run from the things of God? Why do we run when, it, when all we have to do is say sorry? Are we so caught up with shame and we've let shame dictate who we've become and who we are? Aren't we supposed to be the Jesus people? People that are like him? 
Don't leave the house of bread and go to Moab. Stay through the tough times. You know, Elimelech didn't. He messed up. The family's a disaster. Yet, from chapter 1, we can learn that there's something good going on. So, I'm going to get us all to stand, just because of time. I'm mindful of time. Don't stay in the land of bitterness for too long. Don't stay in the land of bitter winter for too long. You, we have to endure until spring. And sometimes endurance means we need to go back to where, from where we came. Yeah? Back from where we came. Back to get things right. Back to apologise to God. Back to apologise to our spouse and to our friends and to our workmates. They may not jump up and down and go, thank you for apologising. They might not be excited about it. Some of them may even be reluctant to receive it. But at least when we do that, what you and I have to understand, when we can bring our pla- ourselves to a place where we're able to do that, we're now re- ministering out of a restored heart out of a restored heart. And 1 Corinthians 13, what does it say about love? It says, if we don't have love. In other words, if, if we're not ministering out of a restored heart, then it's all going to be a mess anyway. We have to be humble enough, enough to say sorry, to apologise, and learn that we're ministering now to those people when we say sorry. And it's from a restored heart that's full of love, like God. You know, maybe, maybe there are some people here today that need their hearts restored. Yeah? So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Because we've got a really simple altar call, really simple thought today. Sometimes we run from the things of God and we shouldn't. People run to Moab in every area of their life instead of staying in Bethlehem where God works, the land of bread. And sometimes we carry a bitterness that we don't share with anyone. And it could be from the past, it could be from your kids, it could be from your parents, it could be from some, something that happened in school, at work, and we hold on to it. You know what? We've got to let go of that. There's one thing that I know about um, Ruth is Ruth discovered that there was a beauty in abiding in the presence of God. She was happy to go from the place that was almost the promised land back to the promised land back to the promised land. And in fact, verse 16, your God will be my God. Yeah, When you die, I'll die, verse 17. That, that is a testimony of her faith. She was so prepared, regardless of shame, regardless of what people thought, she was actually going to go and actually submit to a God that she was only beginning to learn, beginning to know, beginning to discover his love. Maybe some of us today need to realise, like her, that there's something about abiding in his presence. It doesn't require anything from us. It just needs us to go back to the, la- the land of bread. It needs us to run back to Bethlehem. It needs us to give up the bitterness that we're holding. I don't like what that person did to me. No, I don't like it either. They should never have done whatever they did. But you know what? It's not going to define who I am. I'm going to give that to God. I don't like the way my children spoke, my parents spoke. I don't like where I've become, what I've become, what this. I don't like any of that. Give it to God and let the bitterness go. If Ruth was prepared to go back to Bethlehem, you and I need to be able to do the same. You and I need to be able to apologise for where we've not apologised. We need to be able to say sorry where we've not said sorry. And we need to be able to stand in front of our God, you know, and really out of the words, your God will be my God. 
your people will be my people. I just want to abide in your presence. So this is how it's going to work this morning, really simply. The altar's open. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask any of the leaders to pray for you. But I want you, if you need it, to come forward in the presence of God. And as they sing this song, sing with them and allow God to minister to your heart. Allow God to minister to your soul.